Hey guys, welcome to Bar Talk Podcast. Going to do a little little weird one tonight, a little fun. Uh, we're going to be talking about UFOs tonight, guys. UFOs, aliens, alien abductions, alien implants, etc., etc., with a color, couple other fun things sprinkled in. All right, so first, uh, tonight we're going to have a special guest with, uh, with, with myself on tonight. Uh, we're going to be covering things from Skinwalker Ranch, Gilliland Ranch, also known as the SETI Ranch. Uh, talking a little remote viewing, we'll bring up Dr. Roger Lear uh, and more. But most of all, guys, uh, one week from tonight is our Halloween show. And you guys need to start sending us more pictures to our email, which is barpodcast2020 at gmail.com. Submit your pictures. Uh, we have three categories, scariest, hottest, and most creative. You can win prizes for each of those categories. You can enter two out of three of those categories. We need more than just face shots and makeup, full body, no nudity, 18 plus. Uh, it's going to be fun, guys. Uh, well, I think without further ado... We are going to bring up our special guest tonight. Uh, let's see. Let's get rid of this here. I'll bring me up. Get rid of this. I don't know if you guys have seen him. I've, I, th I think I see him in my back office here. I think we're going to bring him up. Mr. John Lupo coming up in three, two, one. John, how are you? Bigfoot, the Loch Ness Monster, COVID-19. It's Mysteries Night. Oh, no, good. No. How you doing? We already did the Cryptid Show. That was several weeks ago. Which, by the way, you guys uh, can no. find anchor.fm front slash bar talk podcast uh we're on iHeartRadio, apple podcast google podcast any podcast that uh, you might want us on yeah just let me know but mr lupo i am doing fantastic uh lovely saturday evening here nice and cool no rain a lot of sunshine today it was a good day that was a beautiful day in beautiful rural pennsylvania yeah, yeah, another another nice day. Uh, Nancy's in the chat. Uh, hi, Nancy. Uh, thanks for coming and being part of this. Uh, so, John, we're going to talk a little bit. We're going to kick off this show. We talked a little bit about skinwalkers on our cryptid show. But now, uh, this show, we are going to talk about Skinwalker Ranch. It is in Utah. Uh, have you heard of it? Yes, I actually have. That's a very famous case. The Skinwalker Ranch or the Sherman Ranch in Northwest, it I think it's Northeastern Utah. You there? Uh, that it is. It is in the Unitop Basin. Yes, I am here. Can you hear me? Yep. I can hear you. Yep. Uh, in the in the Unitop Basin in Utah, it is on approximately 512 acres, uh, Southeast Ballard, Utah. Okay, so uh, there were a lot of UFO reports in the Unitaw Basin that were publicized during the 1970s. Claims about the ranch first appeared in 1996 in the Salt Lake City, Utah Desert News, and later in the alternative weekly Las Vegas Mercury as a series of articles by investigative journalist George Knapp, who is a very famous name in American television. He's an investigative journalist. He's a radio host. You've probably heard or have read something that he has done. Uh, early stories uh, detailed the claims of a family that allegedly experienced inexplicable and yeah, inexplicable and frightening events after they purchased and occupied 
the property. And that was during the 70s. Uh, so that would be the uh, Kenneth and Edith Myers uh, who owned the property from 1934 to 1994 for 60, 60 years. It's a long time. Uh, Mr. Lupa, what do you know about Skinwalker Ranch? Only the story about the, the family that moved in. Their names are Technically, we don't know their real names, but they became known as the Sherman family. They bought the ranch in 1994, and I think it was they lived there for two years before they were driven off the property. Um, they basically claimed that all kinds of unusual happenings, ranging from ranging from mysterious animals to strange lights to mysterious vehicles showing up on the property, um, as well as some strange happenings inside the house itself. <coughs> Sorry. So but the house alone, when they moved in, they discovered there's an interesting story from their first day, but when they first moved into the house, they discovered that the interior of the house was double to triple locked. All the doors and windows had heavy-duty locks, and that there were these two massive hooks to, to put chains for large dogs on the on, in the front by the bedrooms. In, in fact, there was it actually went as far as to their land lease that said that a stipulation that said that they had to inform the previous owner about any changes they were making to the property. Um, as the story goes, the first day the Shermans moved in, they were approached by what they described as a large dog that turned out to be a massive wolf, which at first seemed to be docile. In fact, I believe they even said that the man's daughter or someone went up and petted it. It was so friendly. And it was the biggest wolf they'd ever seen. The story goes then that the wolf departed and went over to the corral where the Shermans had their livestock and grabbed a calf that was too curious and tried to start trying to pull it through the fence, um, this irked the, the Sherbans who were intending to use the property for cattle rearing and livestock. And Terry Sherman, the, the husband in the story, went over and started hitting the wolf with his fists at first. His father went into the house and came out with two large weapons, and they eventually opened fire. It says, welcome to Bar Talk Podcast. So am I still with you? You are still with me. Okay, good. It's just said, welcome to Bar Talk Podcast thing popped up. But apparently they fired several rounds of high caliber ammunition into this animal. But it didn't seem to do anything except maybe cause a few pieces of flesh to chunk to fly off. Eventually, though, the, the wolf let go of the, the calf, which had been killed by that point, and left the property. Never to be seen again. However... When they picked up and examined some of the flesh that fell off of the wolf, it had a putrid quality to it, as if it had been dead all along. This marked the beginning of just an or a series of ordeals, like I said, ranging from odd paranormal activity to strange and uh, strange vehicles showing up on the property. Um, eventually, they um, sold. They decided to sell the property, which attracted the attention of millionaire. Robert Bigelow out of Las Vegas, who bought the ranch and used had Terry Sherman stay on to supervise, but he and he set up a team called the National, what was it, NIDS, the National Institute of Discovery Sciences, 
which yep. started conducting their own investigations on the property itself. That kind of gives you there's more there's more to the story, but I'm just giving you kind of the Reader's Digest version. Yep. And there you go. That's kind of the short end version of the Skinwalker Ranch story. Yeah. A uh, lot of lot of a uh, lot of cattle mutilizations have been part of the folklore of the surrounding area for for decades. Uh, he purchased the ranch for for just two hundred thousand uh, dollars. Robert Bigelow did in nineteen ninety six. Two hundred thousand dollars for for five hundred plus acres. So they they wanted to get rid of it. Uh, I do know uh, they had a lot of uh, a lot of problems. The investigators did had a lot of problems. Uh, they had difficulty obtaining evidence that was consistent with scientific publication. Uh, but man, there there have just been an alarming an amount of of sightings there uh, be, between UFO fight, uh, sightings, uh, skinwalker sightings. Uh, Bigfoot sightings, a anything you could shake a stick at the place seems to be a paranormal uh, hotbed for for anything of that uh, anything of, of that sort. Uh, in just this year, uh, March of 2020, uh, Brandon Fugal, uh, he was a, a, a real estate tycoon in Utah, uh, had purchased the ranch a little bit earlier this year. Uh, and then this year, we've had a lot of different uh, either mentions. We have the Secretive Skinwalker Ranch t television show. Uh, I believe it's on the History Channel. Uh, I watched an episode of that. Yeah. Uh, it was mentioned just this year on, I believe, an episode of Ancient Aliens. Uh, in, they, they brought up in connection to shape-shifting beings, uh, ancient astronaut theories. I was on a TV show called Project Blue Book as well. A lot of a lot of different mentions of it uh, this year. It seems like it got a lot of traction after the Secret of Skinwalker Ranch television show appeared. Uh, a lot of a, a lot of uh, just a lot of mentions of it all around. This is the second time it's been brought up on this podcast. Actually, we brought it up once on the Cryptid page, uh, just talking about uh, you know the, the different happenings at uh, Skinwalker Ranch to include Skinwalkers themselves. Uh, just uh, bringing up a couple more pictures of Skinwalker Ranch here, a couple different views of it. But there really wasn't a whole lot known about the internal workings of Skinwalker Ranch, uh, aside uh, aside from accounts just, just from people, you know? There wasn't uh, a whole lot known about the place until this television show came around, which is kind of neat to see something like this happening. But then again, it's TV. How much of it can be real? How much of this do you think is real, uh, uh, John? How much how much of the stuff that we know about Skinwalker Ranch do you think uh, at least is partially true? Well, I do. Th I would probably say it kind of varies because there is just Literally, it's a twilight zone kind of situation where so much different stuff happens. I mean, like you said, shapeshifters. There have been cases of orbs, and there's a story um, from a Terry Sherman story involving three of his most ferocious hunting dogs. Um, actually, first of all, for anyone who is not familiar with the Skinwalker lore, maybe we should explain to them what that is. We actually had a whole episode that I probably read about 25 minutes just what skinwalker lore is i believe that is episode six 
So by all means, after the show, uh, if you want to learn a little more about what skinwalkers are, you can refer back to that episode. Uh, I, I believe I believe it's episode six. I'm going to check right now. Uh, check my check my podcast episodes here. Uh, let's see, episode seven actually. It's the uh, Bartok podcast, Cryptids and More, episode seven. Uh, I speak for a while about about uh, what skinwalkers actually are during that episode. All right, so I'll get back to the story. Then just wanted to make sure we were all every anyone who wasn't familiar with the skinwalker lore could actually follow along with us because it's kind of in, involves the whole skinwalker ranch story, but. This is kind of what they call the straw that broke the camel's back for Terry Sherman. I mean, a whole bunch of other stuff had happened. His children were having they were having so much problems. They were sleeping in the same bedroom at night because they were so scared. Their children were suffering. You know, their grades were going down. Terry Sherman one described seeing these orbs, and he described one he said was about the size of a basketball. They called the blue meanies. And mm-hmm. one night he saw one of these blue meanies on the meanies on the edge of his property and he sicked his three hunting dogs on it and he watched them go off in the distance barking and yelping. The orb starts to fly over the ridge line. He watches it goes through a clump of trees. The dogs give chase. And suddenly there's a flash of blue light and the sound of dogs yelping, like hey, 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 hey. and it was all quiet. Yeah. It wasn't until the next day that Terry Sherman went out to the Ridge line where he'd seen the dogs and the blue and the orb go into the tree line that he found what he described as three um, tar-like mounds of fleshy material on the ground, and he suspects that whatever the blue meanie was, it killed those three dogs. Yeah. He's also described in one case on of a mysterious RV that showed up on his property, and when he went out to investigate the RV. Uh, drove away but it didn't drive on the road it drove over land it drove over the uh, landscape like it was floating above the ground yeah it's also uh, it's worth noting the Shermans only owned that property for two years they hightailed it yeah can you imagine that can you imagine that buying a piece of property like that your dream home your family plans and they were losing livestock they were losing livestock over over this they had uh, they had several cases where they had a they had a case where the guy he went out and I guess uh, did the ear tag on a calf, and mm-hmm. he left for a few minutes. He came back and that calf was literally found cut open, like he'd only been gone for a minute or two, and the calf had been cut open. Yeah, yeah, and uh, with, with with surgical precision at that. Yeah, you know, like like something that would take take an actual surgeon working in a hospital in an ER hours to do was done in several minutes, if it tops, several minutes, precise cuts. It gets even more insane. He literally, they had three prize bulls that they just gotten. They left alone for a few minutes. They came back, the bulls were gone. They searched a lot of the property, and just on a whim, he looked inside this cattle trailer, this horse trailer, not a very big horse trailer, and there are all three, four bulls were in this cattle trailer, he doesn't know how they got in there because the door was wired shut and the do- he said the bulls were in some kind of trance and almost immediately he accidentally made a noise and it broke them out of this trance and they started going, the bulls went ballistic inside the trailer and bashed their way out of it. 
He doesn't know how they got those four bulls got in there or how, you know, because like you said, they were taught the wired shut. The whole thing had been wired shut. So there was no way they could have gotten in there without the, without the Sherman's noticing. Yeah. Yeah. They would, they would have made quite a racket trying to break in as, as they made quite a racket trying to get out. Yeah. Uh, Just a a lot of bizarre stuff at that ranch. Like I said, the Sherman's had it for two years. That's it. Two years. They hightailed it out of there. They bought the home for the everything on the 500 plus acres uh, out in two years. That's, that's, uh, that's, that's pretty, pretty quick to just up and leave. Uh, they, they sold, they're, they're the ones that sold the property to Robert Bigelow for $200,000. So they must have wanted out because even back then, 500 plus acres in a house in 1996 was worth well more than $200,000. Yeah. Yeah, I can uh, imagine. Yeah. Uh, what else do we see? Uh, I guess in 1996, uh, skeptic James Randi awarded Bigelow a Pegasus Award for funding the purchase of the ranch and supporting Harvard University's professor John Max and author Bud Hopkins' investigations. Uh, Randi later called the effort a useless study of a supernatural, paranormal, or occult. So, I, I mean, even after all of that, I understand, you know, there's some people that are going to be skeptics yet. Uh, and I am myself. I'm, I'm, a, I'm believe a lot more than most skeptics would. I guess I'm kind of on the fence. It depends on, on situations, but, a but a place like this, that shows a lot more than just UFO sightings. There's ghost sightings. There's, uh, sightings, like I said earlier, of, of various cryptids, uh, it's like Sasquatch and, and Skinwalkers themselves, which is partially how the name Skinwalker Ranch was derived. Uh, man, I, I don't, I don't. Uh, there's got to be something going on there. there they also talked about hearing sounds underneath the ground, like there was machinery underneath the ground. They find entire chunks of the ground t- torn up out, like, like entire rectangular pieces of the ground pulled up yeah yeah a lot of a lot of bizarre happenings there a lot of trees up like big big trees just uprooted for seemingly no reason they had a case too um as i understand i guess terry sherman was driving on the property one day and he saw one night i guess and he saw these two people standing there and he drove as he drove by them he described them as Men with coyote-like heads smoking cigars. That's yeah. what he said. He said it looked like they're coyote men with cigars in their teeth. Like it's interesting too that you mentioned that there it, there's very little evidence, and that was actually a case for the Bigelow team too. Was they whatever it was that was causing all this mayhem seemed to be screwing not only with the Shermans, but then they started screwing with the. Uh, research team i mean equipment was wrecked they had machinery that would be um they had like cameras that would suddenly go out and then they'd find them uh destroyed or they'd have like a camera on top of a telephone pole that they don't know how it happened but something bashed it on top of the telephone pole like they literally like whatever climbed to the top of the telephone pole and smashed it like it was with a baseball bat yeah yeah so um, that some of you just defies explanation as to how it happened. Yeah. Uh, 
there's there's definitely uh there's there's a lot you know there's a lot that has happened there uh when i say there almost seems to be a lack of evidence it's uh it's more along the lines of it's a lot of what this person said and what that person said rather than documented uh directly from somebody who was investigating uh if you if you understand what i mean when i say that yeah Uh, i mean i i could i could uh i could say tomorrow that i had a sighting and and really sit down and write it out really really well you know and anybody that's familiar with being able to write anybody that's any good with photoshop it's becoming easier and easier to do which is why a lot of the older cases that cannot be debunked are the ones that i tend to believe more um there, like i said there's got to be something going on there uh there's just way too much for at, at least one of those things there's too much going on for at least one of those things to not be true uh, but from one ranch to another, I'm going to kind of turn the page over here to Gilliland Ranch, uh, also known as the Isetti Ranch. Are you familiar with that one? I, I know I brought it up to you a couple of days ago. Uh, have you looked I into it at don't all? Think I've heard, I don't think I, you brought it up. I haven't heard of it and I haven't had a chance to look it up yet. So I am okay, currently well, your student on this one. Okay. I'll throw the information at you. Uh, Gilliland Ranch is located... Uh, in very, very close proximity to Mount Adams in Washington State, uh, southern Washington State. Uh, Gillyland's Ranch is also known as the Eseti Ranch, E-C-E-T-I Ranch, and Satwa Sanctuary. Uh, it's, an, it's an area in the land of uh, Trout Lake at the base of Mount Adams in southwest Washington. The property belongs to James Gillian, who established enlightened contact with extraterrestrial intelligence, which is what ESETI stands for, and the Self Mastery Earth Institute in 1986. Uh, he, host, he hosts UFO sightseeing events, which he has been doing since 2003. Uh, and he reports frequent UFO sightings and unexplained light shows on the site. The thing that makes this di- any different from anybody else is that James Gillian claims to be able to call UFOs to him. Uh, and this happened after uh, I I actually heard of James Gillian and Gillian Ranch off of an episode of Coast to Coast AM with George Norrie. Uh, I believe it was a George Norrie episode. If it wasn't him, it was uh, who I heard it from didn't matter. I heard it on Coast to Coast AM. Uh, I can I could link the episode uh, or give it to anybody if you're interested in listening to it. Uh, claims to be able to call these crafts to him but only after he had a near-death experience and was able to, and this is where I'm going to bring in remote viewing, because he now claims to be somebody who can who can use remote viewing, uh, which for those of you who don't know what remote viewing is, we're going to get to that in a little bit. Uh, but Gilead Ranch, uh, it's located in fairly close proximity uh, to, to some sort of military facility that tests helicopters, uh, they have uh, Blackhawks and and different military vehicles that fly over there all the time. But there's tons and tons of different pictures, different videos, uh, just a, a lot on on their on their website, which I'm gonna go ahead 
and link to all their pictures and videos and audio. I'm going to link that in the chat below here. Uh, but there's quite a bit there. If I'm not mistaken, uh, okay, he does like a lot of like out of body uh, Tibetan meditation. Uh, Gillian Ranch, you can actually go there and go like he organizes UFO sightseeing events to go there. And he'll call out a UFO so you could see a UFO, which makes absolutely no sense to me whatsoever. But if if it actually happens, that's pretty freaking cool. I have to tell you, that would be something I'd love to see. I'd love to be able to, you know, it's like one of those, I want to see that. Yeah, I'd, I'd love to be able to just pick up and go to Washington State and be like, dude, book me. I want to stay here for like a month. Show me things for a month because I want to see something every day. Uh, and it, it's a gorgeous location. I'm going to bring some pictures up of it now. I'm not sure if you can see the pictures on the screen. Uh, but the place I can is, only see myself on the screen, so. Yeah, yeah, I wasn't sure if you were able to see me or the pictures. Uh, varies from person to person. Uh, absolutely gorgeous place. Beautiful landscapes right at the foot of Mount Adams. Uh, they kind of dress the plates up to feel a little more ominous, uh, if you if you will. Uh, but there's certain certain you know there's there's a lot of pictures that I I didn't want to throw about 500 pictures up here. But Gilliland Ranch isn't very well documented either, much much less so than uh, than your your Skinwalker Ranch. The East Seti Ranch has does not have a whole lot of information out there about it except for what is put out there from james gilliand uh and you know ver various uh podcasts or shows or what have you that he uh that, that he's been featured on but uh yeah east city ranch uh, trout lake washington state it's a very very neat place so if you're looking to book a vacation, guys, that, that might be a pretty cool place. And if you go, definitely take pictures, videos, and, you know, get get back to me because I'd love to have you on if you actually get to go there. Uh, yeah, they have a, on their on their website, and I'm looking at it now, they have a energy fields that they, they grab pictures of, uh, un, unexplained uh, orbs and light balls in the sky, uh, energy crafts. A lot, of, a lot of their stuff they seem to bring up uh, seems to be some sort of energy-related uh, related phenomenon. Uh, different energy fields, beings. Uh, they do have UFO sightings. They have those there as well. Uh, they have Bigfoot. They have some pictures of Bigfoot that they supposedly have out there as well. Uh, they have uh, videos of orbs uh, and other crafts over... Mount Adams, uh, they have videos up of them doing, I, I'm what I'm guessing, uh, they're using PIP technology. Uh, it looks as if they're doing some sort of seance, maybe. I'm not exactly sure. Uh, but yeah, definitely, when you have time, uh, John, definitely look up Gillian Ranch. It's a it's a pretty cool place, uh, if you're into that That's kind of stuff. Uh, I wonder if Mount Adams is anywhere near Mount Shasta. I'm not familiar with where that's at. That's also in, in Washington. There's like a Mount Mount Shasta, supposed to be like a a, a mountain in 
I'm trying to think where it is exactly, but it's like, is it Mount Shat? Is that Cal? Is that wait? Is that in uh, Washington or is that Cal? Oh, I'm sorry, Mount Shasta is in California. Sorry, but it's like a famous mountain where they have UFO sightings and there's like supposedly portals to the inside of the world. I don't know exactly the full story. I'd have to look it up. Okay, yeah, is it no, Mount? I'm sure it's California. Uh, it says it's in California. It's actually uh, they they named the city that's right by it Mount Shasta as well. Okay. Yeah, that's uh, that's that's in uh, it's it's in the like north northwest California. Yep. Okay. Yeah. So that's not anywhere near. I was like just thinking to myself. I wonder if that's close, but that's Washington. It's Mount Shasta in California. So that that's as far as that goes then. Yeah, I mean it's it's kind of close. There's only one state in between them. You only, you only have Oregon in between them. <laughs> uh, but that that kind of brings in because they they also do programs at Gillian Ranch. They do programs that teach people remote viewing, which I, I find very interesting, especially. Uh, it depends on, I guess it depends on how hard you look into remote viewing. Uh, I've, I've been familiar with what remote viewing is for quite a while. Uh, a lot of people don't realize the CIA actually poured millions of dollars into remote viewing uh, and trying to use it uh, for intelligence reasons. Uh, they actually, oh, yeah. de- they declassified uh, documents, which I have the PDF file up here for anybody that's interested. I guess that was in the 80s. They declassified it. That's going in the comments section below right now. Uh, it's a PDF to a suggested remote viewing training procedure. This is directly from the CIA. Uh, it was approved for release uh, in mid 2000. Uh, it was written in December of 1986. Uh, a UK government researched it fairly recently in 2001, 2002. Uh, they pro- performed a study where the experimenters recorded electric field, magnetic field around each viewer to see if the cerebral activity of successful viewings caused higher than usual fields to be emitted from the brain. However, the experiments did not find any evidence that the viewers had assessed the targets in the data collection phase, so the project was then abandoned, and the data never actually analyzed since was never never analyzed since no remote viewing activity actually happened. So we never actually got a, a full a full data collection and and research on that from there. Uh, I read something very interesting in this somewhere. Uh, hmm. Let's see. I guess a uh, Stanford Research Institute. They were they were the college that started that started uh, experimenting with remote viewing to bring it up. I, I guess to the mainstream, you would call it. Uh, David Marks, uh, Richard Kamen. Uh, Russell Targ was and Harold Putoff's remote viewing experiment were the original ones from the 70s. Uh, Psychologists David Marks and Richard Canham attempted to replicate their remote viewing experiments, but they were unable to replicate the results. So 
in investigating the procedure of original experiments. Uh, da, 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 da. Little more reading. Uh, pretty much, they couldn't conclude. Uh, they couldn't conclude, like, come up with the same same thing that uh, that that Russell Targ and Harold Pudoff's remote viewing experiments in the seventies gave. Uh, I know a lot of people that are, are very into remote viewing. Uh, I guess that's, that loosely ties into astral projection. Uh, remote viewing is done while you're awake. Uh, you'd be able to, like in a, in, a, in a physical but not physical sense, be able to travel to certain places and gather information. Uh, the CIA wanted to use this to be able to collect different intel uh different intel and information about different countries uh this one's this was a coin toss for me uh on whether how much i believe it or not i believe in astral projection i think i'm pretty i'm pretty confident that astral projection is a thing because that is more or less, you know, it, it, to 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 dumb it down, is more or less dream control, astral projection, being able to to meditate to the point of borderline sleeplessness and and consciousness, to be able to project your quote unquote soul out of your body and have that out of body experience while you're in a semi conscious state, uh, that I that I can believe that I could believe the remote viewing I'm not too sure on and James Gilliand does go into detail about how he was able to remote view and actually brings extraterrestrials home with him uh I mean if if you're not physically going somewhere I mean I mean if if they have that kind of technology they could follow your spirit floating around or you know just I don't I don't know I'm not sure how legit he is. I mean, he, he could supposedly go there and see it. What do you think? Is this guy legit? Is he the real deal? It sounds. I have to. It's one of those things I'm gonna have to see to believe kind of situations because it's easy to say, you know, what I can call UFOs, but you know, I want to see it. I want to stand there on his property and see the UFO show up. Yeah. I mean, it's one of those instances where is it, you know, it is, it is, it sounds too good. It sounds too good. Well, it sounds, we're talking about remote viewing. It sounds like you were talking a lot about what we would call the Montauk project. Yeah. 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 They, they follow each other fairly closely. Yep. Yeah. They're also, I'm reading one of my, I'm reading a book on, on weird stuff in New York. And they were just, because we started talking about that and I said, I'm going to go look. I have a book on uh, weird stuff in New York and it was talking about the Montauk project. And they said possibly that that project after it was done at camp finished at camp hero in long Island may have actually been moved to uh, Griffiths air force base in Rome, New York. Mm-hmm. So yeah, but I think like you were saying, we're getting, I'm getting off the subject. So it's getting yeah. off the subject. But I think I just looked that up and bring it up. Yeah. The Montauk project. Have you ever seen a, Stranger Things, that's kind of based loosely off the Montauk project. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, I, I'm not I'm not sure if I think uh 
if James Gilliand is the real deal, but if he is, holy shit. <laughs> yeah, I mean, seriously. I mean, that's that's a that's that's a, a little over over the top. If he can actually call UFOs to him and can can use remote viewing to communicate with them, that's that's pretty that's pretty crazy. If that's all all real, you know. That's nuts, uh, especially for something that uh, there's a lot of people that think of oh, it's a load of shit, you know? Mm. There's a lot of people that think we're alone in the universe, and I don't. I mean, I don't think they're just dropping in to say hello every day, but we're definitely not alone. That's almost naive to think that we're, we're alone here. Well, I have to go along with the words of the late... Um... Stephen Hawking that says maybe we don't want to advertise right now that we're here because if you think about it, where we are technologically, an advanced civilization that came from across the stars to come here and they want to start something, they're probably going to be ready for whatever we got to throw at them. You know, with, I doubt you'll be able to. Uh, I doubt we'll be able to hack into their uh, systems and shut their shields down and blow them up. I doubt we'll. They'll probably just. They'll probably already know what they're going to do when they get here. If they have the technology to get here, they have the technology to get rid of us. I get the feeling it won't even be as piecemeal as it. I almost, I have to say, it probably won't be as piecemeal as it was when settlers came to the Americas. It probably won't be as piecemeal. It'll probably just be effectively more along the lines of just, oh, see those little humans right there? Blow them up. Have a nice day. Plants ours. Yep, pretty much. Uh, which kind of brings uh, brings me over to the next uh, next segment here. Uh, have you looked into Dr. Roger Lear at all? Have you looked him up? I unfortunately have not. Okay, Dr. Roger Lear. I'm going to have to leave you for a few minutes. I apologize. That's fine. Go ahead. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll I'll get back on Be Live as soon as I'm done. Okay, I'm going to bounce you out here for. Uh, for those of you who do not know who Dr. Roger Lear is, uh, born March 20th, 1935, March 2, March 14th, 2014, uh, he was a surgeon and also a UFOologist, and he was mostly known as an investigator of alleged alien implants. Uh, so we're talking uh, people get abducted and and they uh, they... They give you an implant and they beam you back down to earth. Uh, he was also somebody that I have listened to on Coast to Coast AM. Uh, and he wrote books. Uh, he has a lot of books. Uh, there's one called The Aliens in the Scalpel. And he appeared on other various radio, television shows, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And man, what a career this guy had. Uh he he was part of MUFON. If you're not familiar with MUFON, go ahead and look him up. There's one in pretty much every state. Uh, they investigate UFO sightings. Uh, he examined X-rays from a woman who believed she was an abductee, and that was in 2000 or yeah, 1995. He extracted two small metallic foreign objects from her and also from a second patient. The objects were analyzed by the New Mexico Institute of Mining and Technology, which determined that they were composed of commonly found elements such as iron or aluminum. In describing some of these elements, the lab report made reference to composition of meteors, and Lear interpreted this to mean that the objects uh, 
removed from his patients were of extraterrestrial origin. He came to believe that the objects were devices as implanted by aliens and scientific proof of non-terrestrial air experimentation on man. Lear soon became a prominent in the alien abduction and UFO communities. Uh, so essentially they found, uh, found common earthbound elements such as iron and aluminum, and he took that to uh, the they, they lab report made reference to composition of meteors. Uh, Nancy, Audrey's downstairs tonight. We have the kids and, oh, I don't think they'd let us both be on the show. They don't like when that happens. <laughs> uh, Audrey's not very big on the UFO stuff. Uh, not as much as I am. Uh, so she's uh, she's taking a night off or, or working for the night with the kids. Uh, I guess it depends on how you look at that one. Uh, so I guess uh, Dr. Roger Lear took the lab report reference of the composition of meteors uh, as that they must have came from outer space. So Lear soon became prominent in the alien abduction UFO communities, and he hired investigator Joe Nickel. Uh, the implants Lear claimed to have discovered were most likely ordinary objects such as shards of glass or fragments of metal that became lodged in arms, hands, legs, and feet due to accidental falls or barefoot walking. When asked to provide a forensic medical institute with specimens or photos for analysis, Lear's associate, Daryl Sims, refused. Ah, oh, thanks, Nancy. That's sweet of you. Uh, Lear wrote The Aliens in the Scalpel in 1999, describing his implant surgery. His next book, Casebook, Alien Implants, was published in 2000. He began appearing on various radio and television shows and spoke at UFO conferences. In 2001, a journalist visiting his office in Ventura, California, reported that it contained UFO magazines and a shelf full of bug-eyed alien dolls. In 2003, he traveled to Vargenha, Var, I believe that's how it's pronounced, Vargenha, Brazil, to investigate the alleged crash of an alien spacecraft and produced a book in 2005 titled UFO Crash in Brazil. Dr. Lear wrote the smoking gun article for UNX News Magazine, which was published in March 2nd, 2014, just days before his death, which was on March 14th, 2014. Lear told the publisher that it was the most detailed article he had written to date. Uh, so he passed away six days before his 79th birthday on March 14th, 2014. The cause of his death was determined as a heart attack. Dr. Roger Lear uh, just from studying his history uh, and and what he has and hasn't done, uh, Dr. Roger Lear was part of conferences that happened in Turkey. Uh, he shot, uh, was with people who shot a series of videos uh, that, you know, were, were, you know, supposed alien videos that uh, people caught crafts on video. Uh, bringing up a couple pictures here that you guys will be able to look at. Uh, that is an x-ray. Uh, this arrow pointing there is pointing to an item that is supposedly lodged in a person that was an uh, alien implant. Uh, and it's lodged in the spine of the person. You can see the ribs to the left and or right of the spine. And the second picture here 
is the item that was supposedly extracted from a man's spine, an alien implant that was extracted. A lot of the different items and objects that he had supposedly extracted, I know some of them looked like what we now know as RFID chips that people can have implanted in their pets to make sure they can keep an eye on them or figure out their location. But keep in mind, a lot of these were years before that became something that was more common today. Uh, today, it's, it's not uncommon to microchip your dog so you can find them if they get lost. But 1995 and, you know, that, that in the 90s and, and earlier, stuff like that was not common. I do think nanotechnology existed then. I don't think the vast majority was aware of it. Uh, but uh, he, he liked to, he, he claimed to have been able to use uh, his skills as a doctor to remove nanotechnology related alien implants from people. Uh, what I do have is the video that finally I said before that he had been with people who took videos of alien crafts uh, in Turkey. I guess there's a big conference in Turkey uh, where people had taken videos uh, of a craft off the cliff next to an ocean. Uh, in Turkey, not far from where this conference is. And in 2009, he was able to be the person behind the video camera with a fairly good camera for the time in 2009. So the technology is not too far behind. It's only 11 years ago. Uh, and by uh, <laughs> Area 51, yeah. Uh, a lot of people don't realize that before Area 51, uh, the area Area 51 was actually in Ohio. There was a, a, a hangar in Ohio, uh, an army base, if you will, that was the, the center around anything that ended up related to Area 51. Fun fact, uh, I believe it was in Ohio. Uh, but what I do have is I have Dr. Roger Lear's video footage and him speaking at a conference that I can play for you guys. Uh, let me get rid of this here and bring this up here and put me, oh, nope, wrong one. Put me down there. Uh, and this is a zoomed in stills of what you're seeing here. Uh, it's a zoomed in still images from the video. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and uh, I'm going to show up and play this video. I'm not sure if you guys are going to be able to hear the audio or not. I hope you do. Uh, if not, I will leave the link over. Uh, I guess I have some family files from there. You have family files from there? Wait, you have old files on Area 51? That's pretty cool. Nancy, hit me up after the show. We're going to talk about aliens. All right. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and hide myself here. And we are. I'm going to shut up and go away. And we're going to play this video. Uh, like I said... If, uh, boy, let me see if I can copy this. If you guys can't hear it, I'm going to play the video anyway. We're going to roll it. I'm going to drop the link to the video in the comments below. Mm. There it is. Boom. Right now. And we're going to go ahead and play this and yeah, we'll see what you guys think.
Nerede? Işıkla bir tarafa gidiyor. Ciddi söylüyorum ışıklı bir tarafa gidiyor. All right, so I'm going to pause it there quick. Uh, those were the videos from friends of his who had shot video footage of UFOs over the coast uh, of Turkey, over the ocean. Now, it's worth noting that these videos, uh, they, they had to zoom in quite a bit. If I'm not mistaken, I think he was using a 300, 300 millimeter zoom on his camera uh and it was it was pretty maxed out so keep that in mind when you're watching this but man it's 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 pretty 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 weird man uh here it goes There was a bright full moon, and below uh, the moon was this little bright spot. We didn't know what it was, and we were filming out uh, over the water. Uh, there was uh, no uh, structures in the water. There was no uh, oil platforms. There was no uh, ships uh, going by, and uh, we uh, zoomed in. Uh, this camera had a 200-millimeter uh, lens and an electronic doubler, so we were able to get very tight on the uh, leading edge of the craft. The craft, you have to realize, is being lit by the moonlight, which is, as I said, a very bright moon. And then right in the front of the craft, there appeared to be three windows, viewing ports, whatever you want to call them. And standing in these viewing ports, were typical bumper sticker, sticker gray aliens. And I, I saw this, you know, I mean, I looked through the camera myself, and uh, unfortunately we recorded it. That uh, video uh, went to a university in Istanbul and went over extremely intense uh, scrutiny um, by the Turkish government, and then um, the uh, video was also sent uh, to the UK, and several other countries for analysis. And by the time all that had been done, it had already been on the internet and could absolutely not be suppressed from the public. Uh, recently, uh, this year, uh, the video was uh, given to a, uh, a analyst in Chile. And uh, he did another review of the film, but this time, instead of concentrating on the craft, he concentrated on the occupants. And on my website, alienscalpel.com, you'll see the entire uh, Chilean uh, analysis.
So yeah, pretty uh pretty cool footage there. Uh man, that's that's neat. I think it's neat. Uh we're gonna bring John Louvable back up. Uh he's coming back up in three, two, one. There you are. Welcome back. Thank you. Good to be back. Uh did, were you able to catch that footage at all? Oh, no, but I didn't catch it on your show, but I've seen it before. It's the one where you can see the two occupants inside. Yeah, yeah, that's some that's some, that's some, some weird stuff. It is. I mean, some... it's it, the fact that it's zoomed in, I mean, you can you can see them moving around. I mean, one of them turns their head. They kind of move back and forth. They don't just, you know, sit there stationary. Yeah, yeah, they, they move around. Uh, you, you can see it in the video footage. All the pictures from the video footage, those are all still images from the video. Uh, so they're not just pictures that were taken separate from that. Uh, man, it's it's some it's some pretty wild stuff, and the fact that it couldn't be debunked was something that kind of kind of got me there. It, it was something that they couldn't say. Well, this this was fabricated because we found this evidence, you know, X, Y, and Z evidence that debunks it. This was something that wasn't able to be debunked, and something I found uh, really going through a rabbit's hole. So I'm not much, I'm not sure how much bearing there is to this, uh, but something I did find was that the Turkish government uh, in Istanbul uh, said that they had sent the footage to the United States uh, to, to the CIA, and they immediately on U.S. soil classified their findings. And it is yet to be declassified, which only if if that's true, pending that actually being a truthful statement that I read, uh, that only to, to me personally would add to the fact that this is legitimate footage and they didn't want to bring that out toward everybody. Uh, your take on that? That makes sense. I mean. Well, there's an old expression in the military that sold that uh, generals do not like unknown objects and do not like unknown weaponry unless they have it in their hands. So, you know, it classified information, you know, heck, they might, you know, it brings up the speculation they could have accidentally picked up on some kind of a, a spy, a spy machine or aircraft that, you know, accidentally someone picked it up on camera. And of course, now I got to hide it because, oh my gosh, our wonderful tool just, you know, got spotted by somebody yeah uh and something else i mean they say back when go ahead they say back in the 1970s and 80s that people um they had to confiscate pictures people took of the b1 uh the b1 bomber that was flying around because they weren't it wasn't the famous b1 stealth bomber because they weren't people weren't supposed to see it but they saw people were getting pictures of a weird wedge-shaped object flying through the sky so yeah yeah, and uh, yeah. I I, uh, I brought it up. I, it might have been on our first show. I brought it up. I'm going to bring up a, a GIF image here uh, of I guess it was uh, the Pentagon released uh, declassified footage from a Navy boat, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, and this is it here. Uh, we had brought this up on a previous show as well, but I felt it was worth bringing up again on this one. Uh, that was footage from from the government uh, and a government aircraft took this this video uh and it, it depicts uh what they they classified as an unidentified flying object uh, i mean i'm sure the government films a lot of things from their from their uh 
various uh, various aircraft that they fly. But yeah, that that was that was taken by our our uh, our government from one of their crafts there. Interesting. We like I said, we brought that up. That was news uh, a couple months ago that uh, just came out that they released that. I also have another. Is image. that the pictures? Go ahead. From the Navy of the the air of the air of the USO coming out of the water and flying around like the three pictures. Uh, no, this one was taken from an aircraft. It was uh, released a couple months ago. Uh, huh. I guess uh, the Pentagon Pentagon released it. I also have another GIF image here. Uh, another another famous uh, famous location, the Phoenix Lights. I'm sure you're familiar with them. Oh yeah, I've heard about them. Uh, this is this is a, a formation of supposed uh, UFOs that's that uh, were over. What was the speed? On? I'm not sure what the speed on that video was. Uh, I would like to think that it was probably real time. Let me bring that one up again. Uh, trying to see if there's anything that would. I would think that that was real time because if you're looking at the degree, the degrees change. Uh yeah, if you look at the middle on the on the bottom of that GIF, there are numbers that are taking away, and they are I, I believe that's a counter of some sort that they use. Uh, if anybody uh, familiar with military surveillance is able to let us know if that would be something that appears to be in real time, it does to me just looking at the background of the images. But uh, if that is, I know the footage we have is from home camcorders. Yeah. So yeah. like this one of the uh of of the Phoenix lights, like I know that's that's in real time footage. I have one more GIF image to bring up that I thought was kind of neat. And it's of a it looks like a black mist going past uh the window of an airplane. I'll leave that run up a couple of times. Actually I might uh, I might full screen this one just because it's gonna look looks hard to see if people are watching from a phone. Uh, that's, that's this one. You can see go by now kind of shoots past, uh, almost looks like it could be a bird, but yeah, I mean, I guess you don't know. I'll bring the other ones up as well. Well, this is full screen for people to be able to see. This is the, uh, the Phoenix lights. Let that run a couple times through. I was going to say with the objects going by the window, I've seen birds when I was a kid. We had a hawk fly right by the window so fast. And it was, it wasn't even funny how fast it was going. It's like blinking, you'll miss it moment. Yeah. Now this is by the window. Imagine that looking out the window of a plane and it flying in the opposite direction. You know, I, I, I don't think this one is legit. I think that's probably a bird of some sort. You know, you also have to, I don't know when this video footage was shot. Uh, so we could be talking, you know, 15 years ago when a standard point and shoot camera was only shooting in 25 frames per second, you know, and less yeah. for the, for those unfamiliar, the less frames per second that uh, you're recording something at, it, it's going to be a lot harder to identify things that are flying uh, through the, through the air. There's a, uh, less frames for it to capture and come out with a, a higher clarity of, of image or video. 
but I'll go ahead. I'm going to hide that there. But yeah, a lot of, a lot of interesting, uh, a lot of, a lot of interesting stuff. But I, I think that video that Dr. Roger Lear shot was probably the best footage the, to, to say that they exist and not be debunkable. I would say that's probably the single best piece of footage that, that's out there right now. That's my humble opinion on it. Do I, do I think we're alone? Absolutely not. But I, I don't think that 75% of, of uh, what we get, uh, I think 75% of what we get as far as supposed, uh, supposed evidence, I think is a load of shit. I think 75% of it's false or fabricated information. I think about 10% of the remaining, you know, we'll go 15% of the remaining 25%, I think is a maybe. I think very little of it's realistic, you know, that this, this is, this is for real. That's what I say when I, I'm, I'm a skeptic, but I'm also a believer. I'm very skeptical when I look at footage. Uh, I, have done photo editing. I've done video editing. I'm familiar with Photoshop. You know, I'm, I'm familiar with software like Sony Vega and stuff like that. It's, it's easy for me to try and pick out anomalies and videos and images. And the one from Dr. Roger Lear, I can't really pick any anomalies out in the video. Uh, and I love that about the video. I mean, it's definitely makes you go, man, may, that, that actually might be real. It might not be. Uh, and yes, Nancy, uh, less pixels too back then. Uh, typically, uh, you, using, using computer monitors, we'll use that as our example here. Uh, TVs, computer monitors. Uh, even 10 years ago, like a, a 1080p computer monitor, you know, HD 1080p, uh, you have, uh, 1920 pixels going horizontally across a TV or a screen and 1080 going vertically on a screen. That's how they come up with 1080p. Uh, even 10 years ago, that was like almost extreme in a way. Uh, we think back to the, to the days, uh, where computers started becoming everyday household items and you're, you're, it was incredible when you had something that was 800 by 600, you know, you, you had, uh, I'm sure you remember John, the little like IBM, uh, CRT monitors that were 13 inches. That's you, you practically, oh, felt, yeah. you, you felt like you needed to have glasses to see properly just to read what was on them half the time. Uh, yeah. I mean, that was, that was only, it's 2020 now that was 30 years ago how far we've come. Uh, but yeah, it works the same for cameras too. I mean, you had like your old Minolta cameras and, you know, you had your old Sony's, your old Minolta's, your old Kodak's uh, that were SLR cameras. And that was extreme back then to have something that was like 768 by 1024 pixels. That was like incredible to have. Now you have people that are taking these new digital SLR cameras out and they're getting, they're getting pictures that have, you know, 4,000 pixels that run vertically across a screen, you know, and that's, that's incredible. You know, the, the amount of detail in, in pictures anymore, 
Uh, the only thing that kind of bummed me out about Roger Lear's footage, and, and I stand corrected, he wasn't a 300 millimeter, it was a 200 millimeter uh, with a with a 2x digital enhancement. So it was like having a 400 millimeter lens, but a lot more grainy. The one thing that bothers me about that video footage is I wish he would have had a better lens to shoot that in to shoot that with, because that would have been a freaking phenomenal video that he that he was able to capture. Uh, but yeah, I, I'm I'm gonna quit rambling about you know screens and cameras. Uh, what do you think? <laughs> What do you think about uh, Roger Lear's video? Do you think it's the you think it's the real thing? It could be. I mean, it's hard to tell. Like I said, like I said, with all the limitations and everything of the video. But I mean, yeah. If it was, a la- I don't, I don't know. It's one of those things where it could be an elaborate hoax, a really well done elaborate hoax of just something on a hillside, or it could be the real thing. It could be just two really two aliens sitting behind the dry- pilot seat of a UFO. Yeah, I think the thing that bothers me most about it again is how how grainy the video is. Considering it was two thousand and nine, we had we had cell phones with cameras in them in our pockets already. Yeah, you know, we we were on what the iPhone six by then, something like that. I believe so. I can't even, I don't even remember anymore. And then we might have been iPhone five or or four 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 S. Then I'm not I'm not exactly sure. I probably didn't get into the smartphone race until 2012 <laughs> but uh yeah uh i think uh, i think that video i think that video is probably where i want to end uh tonight's show uh so john it was it was nice having you on i appreciate you coming on and uh sharing your information with us and and talking to me for a while about this i appreciate it thanks for having me Oh, anytime. Uh, John, enjoy the rest of your evening and enjoy the rest of your weekend. You do too. Hey, take care, bud. You too. Keep watching. I will. I'll keep watching this, guys, but I heard you. Uh, All right, guys. Uh, It's been a fun evening uh, talking about UFOs, uh, talking about Gilead Ranch, Skinwalker Ranch, remote viewing, Dr. Roger Lear. I had fun. Uh, I hope all of you guys have fun. And for those of you that are going to be watching via uh, Spotify, via iHeartRadio, uh, Apple Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Overcast, uh, Breaker, Pocket Cast, every platform that we're on, I hope you guys enjoy this show. Uh, don't forget, next Saturday is our Halloween costume contest, uh, barpodcast2020 at gmail.com. All you have to do is submit your photos there and yeah, you know show up next week uh uh let's see what else what else do i have to say uh make sure you check out our youtube page we have a youtube page i linked it in the chat uh make sure you go there you like you subscribe click that notification bell on the way out uh guys i think we're about done for tonight uh once again thank you mr lubo have you seen me i just did uh thanks again for coming up on the show i appreciated having you there uh always always fun talking about this kind of stuff with you uh, all right i think we are going to cap it off for the evening once again guys thank you for coming and we will see you next time at the bar mm-hmm.